Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. And I took you into Nehemiah chapter 1. And we begin to read about what takes place. The historical account is this. Nehemiah was born into captivity. Probably never knew a free day of his life. He was a slave. You know the, the, the story now. Over a course of time, he began to become elevated in the kingdom until he finally took over the position of cupbearer to the king. That simply means that he had to taste the food and taste the drink before he served them to the king so nobody could assassinate the king. And so he was a trusted confidant, if you will. I told you what happened. Some people from his hometown of Jerusalem, a thousand miles away, came and visited him and reported to him that Jerusalem was in total chaos, that the wall had been torn down. You will remember that I stated that the walls signify the protection of God, the glory of God, the covering of God. And they said to him, all the people are living in poverty and it's chaos and the gates are fallen and destroyed and the wall is destroyed and we need help. And you will remember what we learned last week. Number one was this, that Nehemiah was moved. And I challenge you that this year we're asking God to move you. But I want God to move you just beyond crying because how many of you know a lot of us are good at waterworks, we're just not very good at hard work. And so I am challenging the Holy Spirit to challenge you to begin to move outside of your comfort zone and allow the Holy Spirit to challenge you to actually do something about what touches your heart. That means when you see somebody hungry, you don't just weep over it, you actually give them food. That means when somebody comes to you with an issue, you don't go, oh, I'll pray for you, brother, and you never do. We actually are moved to the point that God moves beyond our apathy and our callousness, and we do something about what we see. We also said that Nehemiah's story teaches us that God always honors His Word. The curses and the promises. We like the promises. Anybody like the promises of God? Love them. I want to be blessed. I want to be so blessed that, man, it's ridiculous, right? Don't you want to live that way? But the way we live our life dictates whether we access blessings or curses. And God is living up to his word just as much when he curses us as when he blesses us. We get to determine which one we get. I also told you that in order for God to use us, we have to develop two foundational stones in our life. The word, first one is, we got to be available. God can't use some of you because you won't give Him access to your calendar. It won't always be convenient for you to serve God. Some of you are going to have to adjust your calendar to be used by God. Amen. It means you may have to do something in, in, a, in a time frame that isn't... Well, I'm going to have to adjust some things. I won't get to go... God can't use you unless you're available. And then I said, not only that, I made up a new word for a new year. The reason God could use Nehemiah was because he developed prayer ability. He knew how to pray. God will never use us beyond the depth of our prayer life. And so over the course of this year, you individually and we corporately have to develop a prayer life so that God can use us. And everybody said, Amen. So this week we're going to go further on and I want to take you into Nehemiah chapter 2. I promise you we won't read the entire chapter every week. We read the entire chapter the first week. I'm going to read the entire chapter this week. We won't do this every week, but you got to hear what's going on. So today what I want to challenge you is I want to challenge you to become a control freak. Uh, don't don't elbow your spouse right now because some of you are living with control freaks and you don't like it too much. I am challenging everyone under the sound of my voice, become a control freak this year. All right, you'll understand more here in a moment. Nehemiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
It was the month of Nissan. Y'all got to understand I'm weird. I wanted to say, well, God, why wasn't it the month of Ford? I kind of like Ford. Some of you like Chevys, uh, but, but it was the month of Nissan. Got any rednecks in here that like NASCAR? Okay, I, I used to drive a Ford, an old Mustang, a 68 Mustang on the back. It, it said, have you chased a Ford lately? And on the, my license plate, I had it spelled out, you have now, just so you know where I fall in the NASCAR spectrum. At the hour of serving wine, y'all didn't know I was that much of a redneck. I had a mullet back then, too, and I got over that, too. And a perm, yeah. You don't have a mullet unless you have a perm. All right. <clears throat> okay, back on track. At the hour for serving wine, I brought it and gave it to the king. I, I love this phrase. I love the Message Bible. You ought to get you one and read it. Listen to this phrase. I had never been hangdog in his presence before. So he asked me, why the long face? You're not sick, are you? Or are you depressed? That made me all the more agitated, and I said, long live the king. And why shouldn't I be depressed when the city, the city where all my family is buried is in ruins, and the city gates have been reduced to cinders? And the king asked me, so what do you want? I'm praying under my breath to the God of heaven. I said, if it please the king, and if the king thinks well of me, send me to Judah, to the city where my family is buried, so that I can rebuild it. The king with the queen sitting alongside him said, How long will your work take? And when would you expect to return? I gave him a time, and the king gave his approval to send me. Then I said, If it please the king, provide me with letters to the governors across Euphrates that authorize my travel through to Judah, and also an order to Aspha, the keeper of the king's force, to supply me with the timbers for the beams of the temple fortress, the walls of the city, and the house where I'll be living. And the generous hand of my God was with me in this, and the king gave them to me. And when I met the governors across the river, the Euphrates, I showed them the king's letters. The king even sent along a cavalry escort. And when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very upset, angry that anyone would come to look after the interests of the people of Israel. And so I arrived in Jerusalem... And after I'd been there three days, I got up in the middle of the night, I and a few men who were with me, because I hadn't told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. How many of you know you can't share your dream with everybody? Yeah, that's for free. The only animal with us was the one I was riding. Under cover of night, I went past the valley gate toward the dragon's fountain to the dung gate looking over the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken through and whose gates had been burned up. I then crossed to the fountain gate and headed for the king's pool. But there wasn't enough room for the donkey I was riding to get through. That doesn't seem like that matters, but that tells you just how bad the city really was. It was destroyed. So I went up in the valley, or went up the valley in the dark to continuing my inspection of the wall. I came back in through the valley gate. The local officials had no idea where I'd gone or what I would be doing. I hadn't breathed a word to the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the local officials, or anyone else who would be working on the job. Then I gave them my report. Face it, we're in a bad way here. Jerusalem is a wreck. Its gates are burned up. Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem and not live with this disgrace any longer. Key phrase there. I told them how God was supporting me and how the king was backing me up. And they said, we're with you. Let's get started. They rolled up their sleeves ready for the good work. And when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about this, they laughed at us, mocking. Ha! What do you think you're doing? Do you think you can cross the king? 
I shot back. The God of heaven will make sure we succeed. We're his servants and we're going to work rebuilding. You can keep your nose out of it. I like that. You get no say in this. Jerusalem is none of your business. Control freaks. Uh, I, I, I want to take you back into this account that I just read to you and make... There, there are so many lessons. There's lessons about not sharing your dream with everybody. There's, there's uh, you, all this kind of stuff that you can pull from. But I want to focus in on three very quick lessons out of this account. I, the first one is this. I want to rem- take you back in and I want to read this statement to you. I love this. Nehemiah says about himself, I have never been hangdog in his presence before. So he asked me, why the long face? You're not sick, are you? Or are you depressed? The New American Standard Version says it like this. Now, I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. You need to understand that Nehemiah has been living in captivity all of his life. You need to understand that he had been in relationship apparently with this king. I don't know how it happened. Maybe he started out as dog catcher and then he got promoted to garbage collector and then he became the butler and then finally he finds himself serving as the cupbearer of the king. But all I know is this, is that as cupbearer, he must have been in good relationship with the king because the king trusted him. You understand that the king's very life hung in Nehemiah's hands and so there had developed this rapport with one another, this, this give and take where he knew Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I, I haven't been able, I've, I've asked everybody I can ask, I've tried to find out how long he had served his cupbearer. Nobody knows. It must have been an extended period of time. He saw the king on a daily basis. And I just came to tell you that if anybody had the reason and the right to be depressed, it was Nehemiah. Right? Think about his life story. He's never known a day of freedom. He's been in captivity. He's a slave. He, he has no rights other than the rights that the king will allow him. If anybody had the right to walk into the king's presence it was, and, and be sad and depressed, it was Nehemiah. But Nehemiah testifies about himself and says this, I had never been hangdog in his presence before. In other words, what Nehemiah teaches us is that we must practice countenance control. Let that sink in. God needs to get a hold of some of our faces. Yeah, this is going over huge. I can already... I, 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 Nehemiah said, I've never been sad in his presence. All these years that I've been serving him, I'm, I'm a slave. I'm not a free man. I have no rights of my own. But I was able to go into the king's presence every day and, and put a smile on my face and, and reflect the king to the king. See, what he's teaching us is this, in spite of how bad your life may be, In spite of the hardships and the struggles that you're facing right now, in spite of empty cabinets, in spite of relationships that are broken, in spite of the pain of your body, in spite of your the the, the despair of your soul, you have to be able to learn to practice countenance control. Why? Well, apparently Nehemiah understood and had facial recognition. He understood, I don't know how he came to this conclusion, but he got it, that that our face helps others recognize God in us. The way you look at people reveals God to them. 
Some of us just need to come to grips with a little bit of facial recognition and recognize that the way we look at people shows them God. It also at times shows them pain and sometimes it shows them hope and sometimes our face shows them mercy. We've got to come to some recognition of what message our face is sending. Uh, Steve, are you saying we should fake it? You know me better than that. I've been very, very blunt that we have to live transparently with one another. But for some of us, we never really know whether you're really hurting because you always look like you do right now. And you're always so downcast and so destroyed and so hangdog that we don't, we can't even exercise any discernment to know whether you're really in need or not. We just have come to the conclusion you always look like that. And if you always look like that, why would anybody want what you've got? We'll let Jesus impact our soul. We'll let Jesus impact every aspect of our life, but we won't give him control of our face. And our face is preaching to others about our king. And so we've got to learn to control how we look. Now, now let me just clue you in. If you're always smiling, you're probably faking it. Because not all of us smile all the time. But if you're always hangdog, then it, what it may reveal about you is you've got some deep spiritual issues that need to be dealt with because you shouldn't look like that all the time. And you've got to have enough maturity in your life that you understand there are certain people that you can't let, you, let them see you hangdog because they won't want the Jesus that you proclaim to have if you don't allow Jesus to get control of your face. David said it like this in Psalm chapter 42 verse 11. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Here it is. Here's the remedy. Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. Listen to this phrase. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. I, I love the way the King James says it. Listen to what he says in that. Where, where the Message Bible says, He puts a smile on my face. Listen to what the King James says. This is powerful. He is the health of my countenance. In other words, olive oil ain't gonna fix your face. That wrinkle cream they sell at 3 a.m. on QVC ain't gonna fix your face. No plastic surgery's gonna fix your face. In fact, you know by looking at Dolly Parton and Kenny Rogers that plastic surgery ain't gonna help one bit. It's just gonna make you look like a freak. So the only thing that we should turn to to fix our countenance is God. He says the health of my countenance is my father. Therefore that means that God is responsible for your face. And so if your face is not looking like God, it says volumes about you and your God. So here's the challenge this year. I, I just want to I, I say that should, we, should our face ever show worry? Should our face ever show struggle? Should our face ever show pain? Absolutely. But our countenance should also show and reflect our king. That means when I go through the drive-thru and they mess up my order. I got to apply some God. When, when the referee yesterday jacks up my son's basketball game and cheats on behalf of the other team, I'm positive he did it. I'm a control freak. I don't want to smile, but I'm going to smile at you anyway, you idiot. (laughs) 
when your spouse oh I need a double dose right now. Yeah, it goes both ways. Maybe the prayer that we need to pray this year as we start this year off in all seriousness is this. God, heal my face. See, some of us have been praying that a long time. and It's all right. We've been praying for some of you too, you know. Uh, Heal my face. See, here I'm convinced of this. If, if we would give God our face, God would go further than our face and He would deal with our issues. Control your countenance. The second thing is that as I read this account, I recognize that when Nehemiah got word about the fallen walls and the destruction that was apparent in the city... Uh, nowhere do you read that he went and confided in the Jews that were with him. You, un you understand that there were other Jews living there in the palace with him and in the, in the city with him there, and they were in ca captivity. He never goes and tells them about what he'd heard because he knew how to control his conversation. And what we discover is that what Nehemiah did was that instead of complaining, instead of crying, he had such a control of not only his countenance but his conversation that when he was moved, he went to talk to the king about his issues. In fact, if you really read it carefully, what Nehemiah actually did is he went and talked to the king and then he went and talked to a king. See, I'm convinced that most of us waste our conversation on people that can't help us. We want to share all of our conversation with, with Aunt Betsy and our bestie, and we want to post it on Facebook and just rail about everything bad going on in our life, and i got to get this fixed, and everything's falling apart, and I hate my job, and I hate my boss, I hate my spouse, I hate my kids, I hate my dog, and I hate my neighbor's dog. That's what we want to post when we are wasting our conversation on people that can't do anything about it. And so we've got to learn to control our conversation. And we need to understand that there is this system in place that Nehemiah reveals to us. And he says he went to the king. And then he shifted and went to a king. Because he knew if he could get to the king. And then share his conversation with a king. That something would happen. Something could be changed. Some of you need to quit talking to some of the people you're talking to. You're wasting your breath. They can't do nothing for you. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, we are encouraged not to worry or become anxious about anything, but to make our petitions known to our king. I love the way the Message Bible reads it. You ought to go get you a Message Bible. Listen to what it says. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns. Listen to this. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Lighten up. Does that sound familiar? That's what he's saying. Listen to this powerful phrase here. It's wonderful. This is in the Message Bible. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Wow. If we would learn to control our conversations, perhaps our petitions are being presented to the wrong people. Notice what happens. Why is it so important for us to get our conversation correct? I want you to notice what happens. Nehemiah goes to the king, then approaches a king, and lo and behold, change occurs. 
In fact, the Bible says it like this. When he starts his conversation with the king, and by the way, just as a little side note, this is for free as well. It says he walks into the king's chamber and the queen is there. Guess who the queen happens to be? Esther. Now, some of y'all ain't going to get that, but you need to go back and read your Bible and recognize that God had positioned a Jew, a foreigner, as the queen to... Isn't it interesting that God positions people correctly in our lives? And that's what happens here. And so when he gets the order right and he prays to the king and goes to a king, lo and behold, he finds favor. And two very important things happen. When you talk to the right people, two things will happen. The first thing is he approaches the king and says, I need help. And he makes provision. In fact, the Bible says that he gave him all the timber he was going to need to build the temple back, the walls back, repair the gates, and to build the house he was going to live in for 12 years. That's how long he was gone, by the way. 12 years. I want to say to you today, if you would get your your conversation with the right person and the right people, that God will step in and make provision in your life. The reason that some of you keep sharing all the bad news about what's going on in your life and nothing happens is because you're talking to the wrong folks. If you would talk to God, He will allow you to begin to talk to kings around you that have the ability to make provision in your life. But then he goes one step further. I love this. The Bible says that after he talks to this king and the king makes provision, lo and behold, the king gives him an armed escort protection. And I just want to say to you today, if we would ever learn to control our mouths, God would, learn, God would teach us that we would find provision and protection for our life when we talk to the right folks. Change takes place. So this year, I just want to tell you, you should always share your issues with others, but you've got to share them with the right others. Because I just want to be honest with you. Some of the people you tell your problems don't really care. All you're giving them is Facebook material. They're going to report on you. But if you would talk to the right folks, you want to know what happens? They get moved. Beyond tears. And change The third one is this. Never fails. As soon as Nehemiah is ready to rally the troops, he reports to the people and says, let's get busy. They say, absolutely, we'll roll up our sleeves and work. As soon as he starts trying to accomplish God's plan and purpose for his life, two guys show up and begin to complain. Sanballat and Tobiah show up and begin to say, you can't do that. And Nehemiah had to learn to practice complaint control. Let that sink in. He had to learn. See, Sam Ballant and Tobiah were proven. They were constant critics and they were constant complainers. And they were constantly trying to stop the construction of the wall. That was what they did. How many of you know that at some point in your life, you are going to have to learn to con control the complaints that are coming into your ears? Because at the moment that you be make up your mind, I am going to do what God told me to do, newsflash, somebody's going to look at you and say, you can't do that. I love what Nehemiah does. He doesn't ask it as a question. He makes it as a statement, but I think it's just as powerful as a, a question. He makes this statement. He says, get your nose out of my business. And then he, he says this, we shouldn't grow comfortable or settle with disgrace. And so I want to pose this question to you this year. Why are you willing to grow comfortable or settle for disgrace any longer? 
Some of you have been dealing with the same struggles and the same fights and the same issues for decades because you are listening to people that are complaining and telling you it's never going to change. And what God is saying is saying, quit listening to them. Why settle? Do you remember back in the Old Testament, Nehemiah apparently learned well because before him, an entire nation was taken into bondage because they believed negative reports. Oh, they heard positive reports, but they chose not to listen to those, and they accepted the negative reports, and lo and behold, they find themselves circling a wilderness for 40 years and then going into... What? What? I wonder how many of us are in bondage because we listened in, we are listening to the wrong voices. So here's my challenge. Some of you this year, you just need to look at Aunt Busybody and tell her to step off. Some of you need to have a, a, a one-on-one with Critical Carl and just look at him and say, I ain't listening to you anymore. Back up a little bit. I'm tired of you telling me I can't do what God said. I can Some of you just need to have a one-on-one conversation with the enemy. How many of you know that it's easier a lot of times to hear the enemy than it is to hear God? Because he's loud. And so about the time you're ready to accomplish something for God, he always shows up and he sits on your shoulder and he begins to yell at you, you're a failure, you'll never be able to do that. And some of you just need to corner him and and say some nasty words to him. Like these. Because these are nasty words in my house. Shut up! Just stinking shut up. You've got no right to speak into this situation. How many of you know that the only authority that the enemy has in your life is the authority that you allow him to have in your life? Some of you need to rise up and take some authority. The Bible has already declared that we win. The Bible already says that we are more than overcomers. The Bible already says that we can put him under our feet. So why would I let you stick your stinking nose into my business? You have no right. So just shut up. Some of you need to have a conversation with the enemy because he's telling you you'll always be broke and you'll always be destroyed and you'll always be depressed and you'll always be sick and you'll always be by yourself and you'll always be unloved and you'll always be unaccepted and you just need to look at him and say, you know what, I ain't listening to you no more because you're stupid. If y'all ain't figured it out, the devil's stupid. Oh, he's smart, but he's stupid. So the keys for us this year to becoming all that God wants us to become corporately and for you to become everything that God wants you to become individually are very simple. Control your face. Reflect Jesus everywhere you go. Be real. But control right here. In fact, why don't don't we just... Here in a moment, we're just going to say, God, why don't you just come and take this? Second, you've got to control what comes out of here. How many of you know there's the power of life and death where? Right there. And some of you kill yourself every day. And then third, you've got to control what you're listening to because I can promise you complainers will show up on a daily basis to try to keep you from becoming all that God wants you So I want you to stand with me this morning.
By the way, let me give you one more free one real quick. Nehemiah proves to us that atmosphere and environment are no excuse. Steve, you don't know the situation I'm living in. No excuse. He's a captive. He's a slave. And yet, he thrives and is a blessing to others. Can I say it to you one more time? Your environment is no excuse. If you'll control your face and control your mouth and control your ears, you will find yourself living in victory. There's no other way around it. They're key. So will you join me in this? I told them in the early service, I kind of had this vision of the old three monkeys sitting side by side. You know, moon. Yeah, some of y'all are old enough to remember that. We're just going to pray like that this morning. I just want us to lay our hands on our face. Uh, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. This is just between you and God. If you're having trouble with your face, people can't see Jesus on you. They actually think you're always as downcast as you are right now. If that's you, I just want you to lay your hand on your face. Nobody looking around. Father, this morning we pray for our countenance. We ask you to become the health of our countenance. Fix our face. I pray that in every aspect of our life, we won't fake it, but we will reflect you. In tough situations, when, when others are downcast and destroyed, I pray that we would reflect your presence through our face. I pray that you would allow us to get a handle and control on how we look. We recognize this morning, help us to recognize that we teach people about you with by the way we look at others. You're here and you say, Steve, my issue is my mouth. I just talk to the wrong people and my conversation needs to be healed. Would you just lay your hand somewhere near your mouth? Father, this morning I just pray somehow, some way, you would help us to talk to the right people. God, I ask you in Jesus' name that we would begin to talk to those that can actually help. We won't waste our conversation on people that have no ability to, to provide, no ability to protect. We start our conversation first with the king. And then we move to the, uh, the A kings around us that you send our way. Help our mouth. Change the way we talk. Father, last but not least, we lay our hands on our ears. And Father, I know that in this congregation there are people that are being bombarded with complaints and bombarded with negativity. And every time they are moved by your Spirit to try to accomplish something for you, every time they feel like they can pull themselves up and start again, every time the enemy comes and accuses, I pray right now in Jesus' name you would silence. Your Word declares that every voice that rises up in opposition will be destroyed. Destroy the complaints that try to stop us from becoming what you want us to become. Father, we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to end like this. I know it's going to be crowded. I know, Tari, will you help me? We're going to have to move this. I know it's tight up in here, and so we're going to have to use some of the aisles. But I want everybody that can fit down in here, if you would just come and stand in this area. We'll have to use the first three or four rolls. I understand. But I want us, as a body, we're going to make some covenants and commitments together. Would you just make your way down front? We're going to pray for one another this morning and make some commitments that 2012 is going to be a year where we do what God says to do as a body and as individuals. Man, it's good to see all y'all here. Come on, there's some more room. We're in this together. Nobody needs to be by themselves. Y'all step on up if you will. Come on all the way up to the edge. Thank you.
We'll make room for you. You're part of this too. I want you to look at your neighbor. Stare him straight in the eye. And I want you to say this to them. I want to see Jesus in your face. Now, if you got guts and you're standing by somebody that's been kind of downcast lately, if you want to look at them saying you ain't nothing but a hangdog, you can. But uh, I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> if you're standing next to your spouse and you say that, careful. Duck. There you go. Duck. Ah. We got to get control of our face, folks. Some of your bankers would never believe you know Jesus. Some of your co-workers would never know that you know him because of what happens right here. But together, we're making a commitment right now. Corporately, we're making a covenant. This year, our face is going to be different. He's going to change our face. Come on, would you pray for your neighbor right now? Father, I pray for my brother and sister change our face we commit to one another we make a covenant before you and to one another that this year Jesus is going to show up in our face help us God change our countenance become the health of our countenance let us see you in fact God I'm praying that people will want what we've got just because of the way they see you in us help us God God, if there's one in this building that's hurting and that's in pain and their face shows it, I pray that that would be such a contrast to how they normally are that we would actually be able to use the spirit of discernment and we would know that they have an issue and a need. Touch our face. In Jesus' name. God's got to control our conversation. You've got to tell the right people. Can I just clue you in this morning? You've got to talk to the king. But can I tell you something this morning? There are kings around you. Not everybody in this room is, your, is one of your A-kings. But God is positioning you in this body that at some moment when you cry out for help, if you will be used to discernment, God will send you to the right people that won't just pat you on the back and say, oh, I'm praying for you. They will literally be moved to do something. We have done that as a body and we're going to continue to do that. We're going to reach out and help people. And some of the people we need to help are standing next to you right now. But you got to control conversation so that you share it with the right people. So, Father, right now, corporately, we make a covenant together that we won't waste our conversation. We will talk to the right people at the right time. And that you will send us into relationships inside this body that we can share the needs of our heart and life. And you'll move us to do the hard work of helping one another. If we've been complaining all the time, change it. So that when we speak out a need... You help. We bring our petitions to you. In Jesus' name. Last but not least, we got to control the complainers. I am convinced that what God is doing in this body right now is He is positioning people around us to encourage us. How many of you are tired of complainers? Just, uh, yeah, kind of get old. Yeah. 
So what I'm asking God to do is send people behind us. See, all of us need people around us that will support and encourage. I did it like this. I'm probably going to hurt myself. But you need some folks that will do this every once in a while. You know what that is? That's a poor imitation of a cheerleader. You need somebody that will get behind. Really poor. Uh, you need to get some folks that will come around you. And when you say, you know what? I feel like God is calling me to do such and such. They won't go, you? You want to plant a church? You're nuts. But instead, what they'll do is they'll cheer and they'll go, you can do it. Right? Yeah. Uh, let me illustrate like this. Come here, Woody. Just face it. You need some folks. Because, see, most of you won't do this. You won't, I, I, I started to ask you, find a couple people and do this you'd hurt you and them too so I'm not going to do that you need somebody to get behind you and go want to have the biggest youth group in, in Oklahoma City because it means that souls are being impacted and a generation is being touched for God want to, want to see young people set free go I'm going to get behind him and encourage you got to find some folks that want to reach young men that need don't have dads Yeah, I, I'll help you I, I may not be able to play basketball, but I'll get on the sideline because they play today at 3 o'clock and need some folks to come and support them. I don't have, maybe say, I don't have a son on the basketball. That's all right. I'm pushing. We push one another to greatness. So here's how we're going to, I'm going to end. And then Pastor Danny's going to come and give you an opportunity to give and welcome our visitors and all that good stuff. But here's how we're going to send you back to your seats. I, I'm just going to ask, I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to release you to do this. I'm asking you to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and find one or two people and push them back to their seats. Well, that's stupid. I know. I'm corny like that. But what it does is it just signifies. Maybe you say, well, I'm not comfortable with that. Then why don't you do this? Why don't you just look at them and go. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. And I'm going to do the hard work of making your dream come true. I'll support you. I'll pray for you. And if we could find two or three people in our lives that we can turn to when it gets tough and the accusers come, they would push us to greatness. Father, this morning I pray that we would be so sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit. There are folks in this room right now that haven't been encouraged in months. Nobody has cheered for them. Nobody has rooted for them. Nobody's rolled up their sleeves and helped their dream come through. Father, we know this. What we make happen for others, you make happen for us. And so, God, I pray that you would release us to get behind one another and push one another to victory and push one another to greatness and push one another to freedom and the restoration of the wall of favor around our lives. We believe you can accomplish that in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Would you just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you? Find one or two people. You can roll up your sleeves or push them. I don't care which. But just send them back to their seats so that we can get ready to give this morning. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.